Well, it's absolutely my privilege to introduce to you our speaker for this session. Bishop Bob McLaughlin is the founder and senior pastor of the Potter's House International Ministries. He's also the CEO of Kingdom Plaza Mall, and he's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and that God used, mightily uses this man. He is skillful and he's practical in his exegesis of the word. And that's why I like to have him minister to us. He's not pie in the sky. He's definitely taking the word of God and helping you and I live practically. So today, it's my honor to welcome my friend and a friend of Zimbabwe, and a friend of Celebration Ministries, Bishop Von McLaughlin. Well, greetings, my Zimbabwe family. This is your bishop, Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin, all the way from sunny Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. And I pray that God is with you there in Zimbabwe. I know he is. He's omnipresent. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And on this morning, your theme, His Church, I'd like to just share with you some, just a little bit about His Church and help you to understand what I believe His Church ought to be doing at this hour. I want to give a special thanks to my best friend in the world, Pastor Tom Duchelle, beautiful wife, Bonnie Bonbon, bon, I love you, and the whole Duchelle clan, as well as all of the staff and the people there that make Celebration Church the greatest church on planet Earth. I wish I was there. I promise you, I would serve you until I die. God has been very, very good to us here in, in the state of Florida in the midst of this pandemic, even in here in Jacksonville. Things are well, all are well. We send our love to you and we thank God for you that you are part of our life. I have a few minutes here and I want to share with you and get right to the message from Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. You know that verse, famous verse of scripture. And it says, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, I will build my church. From your theme and your topic, this topic for this session, this teaching session, His Church. We're going to call it His Church. Father, bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I want to begin this message by making it clear that there is a distinction, I believe, a difference between what we know as the church and his church. I really believe that there's a difference, and I want to try to emphasize that. Whenever you hear me say the church, I want you to know that I'm speaking of the way in which his church has devolved over time. What is devolved? I'm talking about the way his church has regressed since its inception in AD 33 on the day of Pentecost. We are a far cry from what we were intended to be on the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the body. It needs to be known that what God originally purposed for his church has been commandeered or hijacked and replaced by what is commonly known with the expression, the church. It's the church that has received all of the ridicule. It's the church that seems to be such a challenge for so many people. But his church is full of power and his church is still on course and on mission for the king. For the most part, what we have presented to the world is not what God had in mind when he sent Jesus. That's an expression I use often when I'm in Zimbabwe. 
that this can't be what God had in mind when he sent Jesus. 1 John 3, 8 says it very plainly. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, to destroy the works of the devil. You see, Jesus was anointed to heal all, the Bible says, that were oppressed of the devil. He was anointed, Luke 4 says, to set captives free. And literally, with that same anointing on our lives, that's supposed to be our job now. We are the body of Christ. But the church, as the world sees it and knows it, has become institutionalized, sterilized. And so it's often criticized for its lack of power and lack of relevancy in today's society. Now, I'm not a church hater and I'm not a church basher, but religion and tradition and the institutionalized, organized church has done much harm to his church that's supposed to be reigning here on earth. So what was intended to be a living organism created to have a personal relationship with creator God has for the most part become a dead organization that claims to know and to serve the true and the living God. Yet the facts are the church for the most part is trusting its own efforts instead of God's amazing grace. And it didn't start with us. Let me show it to you. Listen to what Jesus said to the organized church or religion of that day when he was here. John 5 39. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they, the scriptures, that testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Coming to him gives us life. Not just the scriptures. The scriptures declare that many are going to say in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and that in your name? He's going to say, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. Just knowing the scriptures and quoting the scriptures and not having a relationship with God is a dangerous thing. You just can't know what the Bible says and not apply it and even go further to know what the Bible means. And it means the scripture declares that it is the word able to make us wise unto salvation. It brings us to God. It reveals to us the person of Jesus Christ and then what he did, which puts us in right standing with God. I want us to be clear on the difference of what is often called the church. I want to be clear. And what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church or his church. In America, we have an expression that goes something like this. A church on every corner and crime on every street. A church on every corner. What they actually mean is a church building on every corner. Why? Because the building is not the church. The church. The church has often been mistaken for a building, identified with a building. But his church is not a building at all. We are the lively stones that make up his church. His church is made up of people. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually or in particular. His church is synonymous with the term, the body of Christ, the people of God. So when Jesus said, I'll build my church, he wasn't talking about a temple. He wasn't talking about a synagogue. He wasn't talking about some beautiful facility made with brick and mortar. Jesus was talking about people, people that would represent him. 
He was talking about people that would reflect him as he did his father in heaven while he was here on earth. Jesus was here representing the Father, reconciling us. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. See, while we were yet sinning, Christ came and died for us. He was here. God was in him. He was working to reconnect fallen man to God. Now, the verse 20 of that chapter, the next verse says, Now us, then, are ambassadors for Christ. And though God was pleading through us, as though he's pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what happened with the different translations. You know them by heart, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And now we are his ambassadors. And we beseech you, as it were, we implore you, as it were, on the behalf of Christ, you be reconciled to God. You see, Christ was the body of Christ while he was here. And now we, if we're in him, we are the body of Christ. And we have basically the same mission. To reconnect people to God. Fallen man, sinful man, to a holy God. So as God was in Christ in bodily form, reclaiming that which was lost, so we are in Christ and Christ is in us, and we have the same ministry of reconciling the world to the purposes of God, and as I said, to God himself. Now, Jesus came to give us life, and that life that he came to give us is uh, supposed to be able to allow us to live abundantly while we're here. John 10, 10, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Life, Zoe life, the God kind of life. Life the way God intended it. That doesn't mean everything is going to be well and hunky-dory. That don't mean that everything is going to be all right with you and you'll never have challenges or struggles. But it means that God will give us the ability. He'll give us the power to be able to endure whatever it is that life throws at us because we're already more than conquerors through him that have loved us. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, definitively that nothing from hell, from the gates of hell, will be able to ultimately prevail against us. We have the keys. He's given us authority over the power of the enemy. No assault of the wicked one, he says, will ultimately prevail. No weapon formed against us will ultimately prosper. No condition, no circumstance, no ailments, no pandemic will be able to prevail against this church. This thing is not going to stop us. This thing is not going to kill us. This is not where it ends because we are his church. So when they shut down the church building, it didn't shut down his church. Can I get somebody to say amen? His church cannot be stopped. His church will not be ultimately defeated. We may be hindered, but we cannot be stopped. We may be delayed, but we will not ultimately be denied. His church is made up of convicted and converted people, people who have been gifted by God to serve God and man. 
Right now, the world needs us. Right now, we need to be like first responders. Right now, we need to be that Red Cross that goes in and says, how can we help you? Tragedies and situations and pandemics, pestilence and earthquakes and, and, and tornadoes and floods. And when all these things happen, there are always those first responders that go in and risk their own lives for the lives of others. And that's what we have. This spirit of God that lives in us enables us to risk our lives on the behalf of others. That's why we haven't stopped being the church in our city. That's why we didn't stop feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. That's why we didn't stop doing outreaches and helping people. That's why we didn't stop. We kept going. That's why we didn't lay people off. We didn't shut down. We kept going. We are essential. We are essential to the earth. Good God Almighty, we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, and we have work to do. We may not be able to do it in abundance and, and conglomerately like we have, but we still have a charge to keep and a God to glorify. So his church is people who have an allegiance to the cause of Christ. His church are people who are concerned about the great commission come hell or high water. I've seen the frustration on my friend, Pastor Tom and his staff as they seek to continue to do Matthew 25 ministry in times like these. I've seen him strategically try to figure out how to still take care of orphans and get medical supplies and do those things that he's called to do, those things that are important, those things that Jesus are concerned about. Jesus saw them as sheep having no shepherd and he had compassion on them. And I see the compassion of Celebration Church. I see the compassion of your pastor. I see the burden that he still carries in the midst of a pandemic, not even concerned about he and his own family, but concerned about his family of God the people that God has called him to, putting them as a priority, putting obedience to Christ as an authority and as a, a priority. So his church are people who realize, and we know who we are, that we once were lost and now we're found. We were blind and now we see. So we have a charge to keep and a God to glorify. We owe it to him. Yeah, we ought to redeem the time for the days of evil. So we shouldn't be sitting back cowering. We should be trying to figure out, God, how can I serve you and people at a time like this? So when Jesus said, I'll build my church, his disciples knew exactly what he meant. The word church, we know it, is the word ekklesia in the Greek. It is a secular term. Here's what ekklesia means. Ekklesia, in its truest sense, is the called out one. That's what ek means, in the, the called out. It's an assembly or gathering of people in a political, religious, or informal sense. So we have a clinical definition of ecclesia. You see it best when Jesus said, well, two or three are gathered together in my name or by my authority that I'll be in the midst of you. He is with them, and they have a right then when they gather to officially and legally represent him and decree things, exercise judgment, Stuff happens when two or three are gathered together in his name. Today, men have a problem separating in their minds the difference between the physical structure, which I'm calling the church, the organization, the religious system, and they have a difficulty uh, separating it from uh, the place that's designed for people to meet for corporate worship and train and equip the body, and actually the people who make up the body. People just can't make that separation. His church does the work of the ministry. 
the church, and we have to know that we have to embrace the physical meeting, and I'll share it with you in a minute. It is the place where we come to get equipped, the physical local assembly as we define ecclesia, so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. So the hour that we're now living in is such a critical hour, and we've got to have a proper understanding of his church and the church. We need a strong ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the structure, the nature, and the purpose of the church. It's a theological term that means the nature, the structure, the purpose of the church. We need to understand that. We know we don't go to church and we don't have church. Now we really realize that we are the church. The past several months, the people of God have been quarantined, that sequestered and separated from physical buildings and physical places of worship. But we have not been separated from God. Yeah, we've not been. God is right there with us. These times should have brought us also closer to God. We should have gotten to know him better, to love him more, and to trust him now like never before. Oh, you're not on your own. God is with you. But we're not together as we could be and as we have been. So now all of your training and all of your learning has got to come into play. Jesus trained his disciples for his absence. Yeah, physical absence. But he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You may not be there with those that you had support system with. You may not be there with your elders and with your pastors and with your deacons and with your co-workers in ministry, but you're not alone. Jesus is with you. Your prayer life should be increased. Your praise ought to be intensified. Your worship ought to now realize that your worship, as Bonnie has taught you, is a lifestyle. Yeah. Not something you turn on and turn off. Not something you wait on a, a, a keyboard or wait on a guitar or wait on some drums to beat. No, no, no. Your worship must be in spirit and in truth. How I many of you have gotten the revelation that your home is your new sanctuary? That right now it has become a gathering place for you to worship. Yes, hopefully many are realizing that we can experience the power of the presence of God. We can experience that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name. Even by yourself, you know that God is with you. While at home, you can sing, God is in this place. Yeah, God is in this place. You know the song, God is in this place. Right here, right now, God is in this. No, I'm sorry, I don't want to mess it up for you, Bonnie, but I just want you to know that that song rings in my head because there are times when I know that God is in this place. When nobody else is with me, God is in this place. When nobody else can talk to me and I can talk to nobody, God is in this place right here and right now. So hopefully we've gotten the revelation that we don't need a high steeple, that we don't need stained glass windows. We don't need a booming choir. We don't need a huge band. We don't need ushers. We don't need security to experience the presence and the power of God. Wherever you are, that's where God is. Why? Because he always is. Did you get that? God doesn't have to show up anywhere. He's always there. That's why the expression, he may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. You know why? He's always there. He doesn't have to come from anywhere. He's there. Remember, he promised to never leave you nor forsake 
you. And you got to make that personal, right? Now, we must learn to balance this moment and our present condition. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me and get confused about the church and his church because God expects us to gather. He created us for gathering, for fellowship. He wants us to gather. So I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to say this to somebody that's listening right now. God will provide for us to corporately meet again. God is working all things together for the good right now. He has always purposed the people to gather. It's his MO. It's his modus operandi. He did it in the wilderness. Acts 738, the church was in the wilderness. He did it with the building of the tabernacle. They had to come offer their sacrifices. He did it with the temple worship. He did it in synagogues, porches, where people would come to experience the power of God collectively and together. God is about people gathering people you know why the, the psalmist says God reclines in he he dwells in the praises of his people it's the corporate praise it's the hearing of the corporate prayers where God just kind of sits back the picture is in a recliner in surround sound he can hear the highs he can hear the mids the lows he can hear the basses the baritones the, the, the monotones even he sits in the midst of that and you need to understand that that's God's purpose, that we gather together. Even our theology is best formed in community. When we come together, we can check each other. We need to be together. It's like it was uh, in, in university. When you go off to school, you meet in classrooms, you meet together, you glean from each other, you do projects together, and you learn at the feet of the rabbi, at the feet of the sage, at the wise one, at the professor. God has designed us to worship together. And he has designated houses of worship. Yeah, there are places, yeah, God doesn't dwell in a building made by hands, right? You're the temples of the Holy Spirit. Got that. But there are designated places, and we know that. We designate our house. We bless our homes. We do things, and then buildings that are built for the glory of God, like Solomon built for God and the other temples that were built. For the glory of God, right? He calls them houses of prayer. He said, you've taken my house, and that, which is a house of prayer, and he said, you've turned it into a den of thieves. So God has a house. It's the Mount of God. It's out of Zion shall come forth the law, which is representative of the houses of God, right? And there's one in Harari, glory be to God, consecrated for God, that's waiting on the people of God to return, like Jerusalem doing Babylonian captivity. It's located at 162 Swan Drive, Barrett Boradale Road in Harare, Zimbabwe. It's called Celebration Church. I said it, 162 Swan Drive, right there, Boradale Road in Harare, Zimbabwe. A corporate praise and worship service gets God's under divided attention. Our local meeting places in a city or in a community are safe places of fellowship during the week where the people of God can gather. They also become a place of refuge and a physical escape for the lost that are trying to find God and to seek refuge from a sin-sick world. The local church gathering place is strategic and necessary in order to model the unity that causes God to send that commanded blessing. Like those who attend the universities, as I mentioned, we come together to learn so that we can function in certain aspects of society. The local assembly of the church is the place where people can come and they can get 
socially empowered. They know how to interact with people. Sociologists, the study of human interaction, you get economically empowered. You get to know that you can be that entrepreneur, that you can become, you can have bills uh, paid, and you can have need met by just learning the given principles of God, seed time and harvest as long as the world remains. Educationally empowered, we have your own academy and we teach people. We don't have to wait for the world to train us. And we also need spiritual education along with our secular education and then spiritual empowerment. Spiritually, that's what the church is all about, to build up our inner man and then to be used mightily by God. So we don't go to church or have church. Again, we are the church. We are his church. And his church from the very beginning had to endure trouble and hostilities just because of their relationship with Christ. It's no different today. From the beginning, his church had to deal with the impact and effect of wicked kings and evil rulers and governmental officials. They were hated because they taught and preached in the name of Jesus. The world had watched and heard that this man Jesus had died by crucifixion. And now there were a group of people that were preaching that he was not dead, but he was alive, and they were blaming them for his death. Acts 2.36, the Bible says, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, uh-oh, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Yet no matter the extent of the persecutions, beheadings, burning at the stake, and torture. His church, made up of believers, emerged as the most dominant force in the Roman Empire. His church ultimately became the most dominant religion in the entire Roman Empire, and even in the world, even today. Those who made up his church were fearless and emboldened by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Let's get to the power of God now. He had promised them, and he recorded it in Luke 24 and 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And the Bible said that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, look at what happened. Acts 1-8 was an additional promise. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You feel the power? What did the power enable them to do? What was going on? Acts 2-1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with all, with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided a clothing tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled, good God, with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Watch this now. There was a reason for God filling them for this needed indwelling. He had told them that he would pray to the Father and that the Father and he would send another comforter. He said, as I was with you, I shall be in you. This other comforter, another mean. So why do we need this power from on high? Number one, the Holy Ghost is our comforter. Remember now, the Holy Ghost is God. 
And 2 Corinthians says that the God of all comfort comforts us in all of our tribulations, tests, trials, so that we're able to comfort others. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is our comforter. Number two, the Holy Ghost makes us relevant. Here's what it enables us to do, and here's what we need to understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not just for you to speak in tongues. It's not just for you to play with your toys and to try to demonstrate some type of superior uh, revelation uh, from God or some experience that nobody else seems to have. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it will make you relevant. He will be in you of a truth, and you will be relevant to those that are around you. Acts 2, 5, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that, that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? You get it? See, the glue that holds his church together is the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of his followers to both comfort and also empower them so that they could be relevant to a world and to a people who serve God but don't know God. These were Parthians and Medes and dwellers of Mesopotamia. These were devout Jews that had come for this festival. They were serving God, but they didn't know God. The Holy Spirit enabled them to speak of the mighty and the wonderful works of God and to preach a message so powerful that they repented, they believed, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins and they too receive the gift of the Holy Ghost my friends if you're filled with the Holy Ghost you're relevant and if we are filled with the Holy Ghost even in this sequestering even in this quarantining we're still relevant we may not be able to do everything that we can do legally, but we're still relevant in the spirit. Whether you live in the hills in the best neighborhoods of Harare, or whether you live with 10 people in a flat in Mabari, you're still relevant. The world needs our ministry, needs our message, needs our anointing right now like never before. Darkness has covered the earth and now it's time for his church to rise and shine. What the world calls the church today is still a far cry from what his church is supposed to be. Today, the church is being politically dismantled. The church is often discounted and virtually disarmed by the powers that be. The church has become a political pawn in the hands of those who use it and identify with it solely for election purposes, right? I believe God sent me, as I close this, to remind you of the way his church handled the persecution and trials when he initially announced that upon this rock, I'll build my church or his church. Let's look quickly in closing at what they had. Number one. They had and believed in the power of the Holy Ghost. I want you to have and believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost made them fearless. The power of the Holy Ghost gave them the moxie, the intestinal fortitude, the zeal, and the courage to stand up against those things that came to assault their faith 
in God. Glory be to God. Number two, they lived in expectancy of God's divine intervention on their behalf. They expected angelic assistance when they were in trouble. I don't know about y'all, but we've learned from the text that angels are ministering spirits to the saints of God. Expect divine intervention. Glory to God. An angel was dispatched when Peter was in prison, poked him in the side and said, get up and let's get out of here. Paul was on a ship in Eurachlodon, in a storm called Eurachlodon, and it was tossing and turning night and day, 14 days, and an angel stood by him and said, don't fear, Paul. You're going to make it. Just stay on the ship. You and everybody, not one soul is going to be lost. Stay on the ship. An angel did that. They experienced miraculous escapes, had to be guided by angels. Now, number three, they believed in the power that his name carried. They believed in the power of the name of Jesus. You got to get this. You got to get this. They believed in the power of the Holy Ghost. They believed in divine intervention. And they believed in the power of his name. Acts 2.38 said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name. Acts 3.6, the man that was lame, that was on the cot, in the name of Jesus, they said, rise, take up your bed and walk in his name. In Acts 9.27, Barnabas was called on the carpet by those at Jerusalem about Saul of Tarsus and, and now the change that was in his life. And then he spoke to them and said, he has preached boldly at Damascus, in the name of Jesus. Acts 16, 18, that girl that was following them around saying, these be the men that teach us the wonderful works of God. And it irritated the apostle. And Paul, greatly annoyed, turned around and said to the spirit that was in that woman, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And he came out at that moment. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 17, all that you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus, but also his church. You got to remember, we are part of the greatest force on the face of the earth. And God gives the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for the work of the ministry. And listen, lastly, if you're going to be a part of his church, then you can't be perfect before you become a part. Listen to this expression. His church is made up of imperfect people. Yes, I'm extending to you an opportunity to become a part of his church. If you're going to become a part of his church, then you need to come to him just as you are. You cannot clean up yourself first. If you're broken, you can become a part of his church. If you've been rejected by man, you can become a part of his church. If you've been molested, you can become a part of his church. Mistreated, you can become a part of his church. If you've been abused, you can become a part of his church. If you feel forgotten if all have forsaken you you can become a part of his church it doesn't matter what your past is if you've been incarcerated if you've been on drugs if you've been broke all of your life he'll come and he'll save you when you come to him he will not in any wise cast you out Listen to this, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. His church 
is God's instrument of blessings to a dying world because of sin. His church is what God is going to use to help turn this thing around. This is our time to shine. The gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. This church, that's me and that's you. His church, that's me and that's you. The gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. His church is what we need to be emphasizing to a dying world. The church doesn't have much power, but his church has the promise of prevailing. And we will prevail. It's just a matter of time. We're coming back. We're coming back in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online. We hope and trust that you've been blessed by this service. Stay connected with us through our social media platforms, Facebook and WhatsApp. As we go, stay safe, stay blessed, stay connected.